Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. just to let you know a little bit about some episode announcements, namely the uh, most important one is that um, the retroactive giveaway I have done across several different podcast episodes as of yet, uh, it has ended. Um, That giveaway period was for the retroactive period of November 2020. And so if you're probably listening to this episode, it's way beyond uh, November. So um, I wanted to still uh, participate and do it. And I'm I'm glad that I put forth the effort and did the recording and have the prizes. Um, With any giveaway that doesn't get a lot of entries, I will, of course, always have the prizes uh, available, but it will be for another uh, giveaway in the future and maybe for another anniversary um, podcast giveaway in the future or maybe for something else. Um, But as of yet, you know, no entries were submitted. And so um, I will definitely try to strategize and figure out, um, you know, what's the best method for approaching another giveaway. Um, because I still plan on having my scheduled ones and possibly a bonus one um, for the future. So, um, you know, share your thoughts. You can always be open and honest enough to share your thoughts here on Greener Thoughts. And, you know, that's why my podcast exists. It exists for many different reasons. One of them is to give back and to support um, environmental companies and brands that really do keep um, an eye out for the planet. And they they love you as a consumer enough to do so and to, you know, just span the gamut as far as the different industries that protect our planet. So many, um, whether it comes to beauty or food um, and many other areas in between clothing even. I do want to expand the uh, number of prizes and still keep the number of questions that I ask, um, you know, as part of the criteria for the giveaway. But um, I I think I will um, promote a bit more as far as the giveaway because I didn't really do too much organized promoting. So that's something I do have to work at um, as a podcast host. So um, I I'll, will definitely work on that and, you know, plan to launch another giveaway in a future episode. And as always, you'll be able to see um, when uh, as far as that is because it will be in the title I mentioned alongside the main title of the podcast episode. And I always announce it in a uh, beginning part of the episode announcements depending on the episode.
headlines from the hemispheres is the next segment up where I discuss and talk about briefly all types of environmental news all across our wonderful planet. So the first headline is about pollution and individual ships. So detecting pollution from individual ships from space. You can check out more about that headline on ENN.com. That's the Environmental News Network. And this is regarding the European Space Agency and all the corresponding countries uh, of it. So you may be familiar with the fact that commercial ships nowadays and huge vessels, they burn tons of fuel. Clean, dirty, they burn it. And they emit several types of different air pollution as a byproduct of that burning of the fuel. It, of course, degrades our air quality all over the planet. Um, you can see examples of this um, in the people who live uh, near the seas and off uh, the coasts uh, where uh, shipping is frequent. Uh, you know, they're known to suffer the most. So there have been studies around um, uh, calculating shipping emissions globally, um, and they're responsible for 400,000 premature deaths from lung cancer and cardiovascular disease. And uh, they have uh, uh, shown or seen the millions of uh, childhood asthma cases grow each year, about 14 million asthma uh, cases, uh, childhood asthma cases uh, happen every year just because of uh, air pollution due to our commercial shipping uh, operations all across the world. But recently, there has been some new research regarding uh, back in early 2020 that uh, the content of uh, fuels, ship fuels, um, are reducing uh, in an effort to uh, reduce air pollution. So um, there was a standard that um, was being reduced. So the maximum sulfur dioxide content of fuels of a ship globally has been reduced to 0.5%, down from 3.5%. So this is great. This is a start um, in uh, lowering um, the different types of air pollution that you can find uh, out uh, on our open oceans. Um, but Satellites are um, growing in this uh, new wave of technology and checking on air pollution. So there's a new satellite in town. It's called uh, Copernicus Sentinel-5P satellite. It's the newest answer that we've been waiting for in a study, study that was published last year in uh, 2020, an international team of scientists were able to differentiate snow and ice from clouds by measuring the height of the cloud, comparing it with the surface elevation. And so when it was applying that same method for sun glint overseas, which is the um, sun, um, I wouldn't say bouncing off of the ocean, but you can see the reflection or the little glint in light of the sun, the teams, the scientists, the scientist teams were able to easily identify and attribute emissions from individual ships in daily Sentinel 5P measurements. So good on them. 
The next headline is out of the UK and it is regarding research and effectiveness of conservation efforts. Sterling Research evaluates effectiveness of conservation efforts and also ENN.com had this story too. I couldn't get enough and wanted to also talk about this headline and it is out of the UK but specifically in Scotland. So new research from the University of Sterling has uh, really deep dived into the effectiveness of all types of international conservation projects that work to both save endangered species from extinction and other things. Now, the research was led by uh, Miss Laura Thomas-Walters, and she is the faculty uh, of the natural sciences at the University of Sterling. And the research was published in the notable journal People and Nature. And so it focused on the specific um, different campaigns, but one of them was that they were evaluating this conservation campaign in San Tome in Principe. And it aimed at uh, persuading and convincing the local people to stop eating sea turtle meat and eggs. So you may be thinking, that's kind of gross, that's, or that's out of the ordinary, or I would never eat you know, a sea turtle and, uh, or sea turtle meat and their eggs. Well, around San Tome in, in Principe, I'm probably mispronouncing Principe, but that's the type of food that they would normally eat. But the uh, research staff of the University of Sterling, they wanted to flip it on its head and they sought to address uh, some of the difficulties of why the, the people are maybe struggling in, in eating, um, you know, sea turtle egg and meat and, and, and maybe they, you know, have better alternatives, but uh, maybe it's a popular dish. Maybe they there are other reasons why the people of Santope and in in Santome and Principe, maybe they are uh, you know eating um, both of those uh, foods, sea turtle meat and eggs for different reasons. Maybe it's culturally uh, appropriate there. Um, so they, the team went to explore different ways of evaluating um, different conservation projects and all of these things, of course, influence and change human behavior. And so the team went about conducting interviews and they completed surveys with the local people and they determined if the campaign, which used tactics like television, television ads and cooking competitions, if these were successful in reducing the consumption of sea turtles. And the Sterling team interviewed local people about their habits and their sea turtle consumption before and after the different campaigns occurred. And so the number of people who indicated that they ate sea turtle eggs um, decreased from 40% to 11% during the campaign. But this may also have been due to increased anti-poaching law enforcement. Last but not least is a headline about bedbugs. Bed, dust, organisms may boost children's health, study suggests. And ScienceDaily.com had this story. And so the University of Copenhagen, of course, in Denmark, um, is responsible for this research. It is, um, you know, lengthy as far as it being the most 
um, different extensive type of research of its kind, uh, of course, out of the University of Copenhagen. And it was also collaboration between the Danish Pediatric, Pediatric Asthma Center of Herlev and Gentroff Hospital. They found a link between uh, microorganisms living in the dust of children's beds and children's own bacteria. The correlation suggests suggests that microorganisms may reduce a child's risk of developing asthma, allergies, and autoimmune diseases later on in life, which is really good. Now, of course, microorganisms are really, really teeny tiny, and a lot of times, nine times out of ten, of course, invisible to the naked human eye. So our beds are uh, teeming with micro microbial uh, life and especially during early childhood this can affect um, us it can develop uh, it can influence how our bodies develop and how we respond or are resilient to various diseases researchers at the university of copenhagen's department of biology uh, and the also corresponding um, danish Pediatric Asthma Center, they first started the research by analyzing bed dust samples uh, from the beds of 577 infants before comparing them with respiratory respiratory, uh, samples from 542 children. And there was a total of 930 different types of bacteria and fungi that were found in the dust collected from the beds of the roughly six-month-old children. And rural homes had significantly higher levels of bacteria compared to urban apartments. I'm making the use of ScienceDaily.com for the amazing news article that we're going to learn a little bit more about. And I know that the pandemic is already enough cause for worry. And I know it's scary, and I know that we've learned so many things um, from this pandemic already, from new strategies of how to prevent uh, waste and advances in maybe future pandemics that are to come, Um, maybe other viruses that are in any way, shape, or form related to the coronavirus already. Um, And also um, healthcare management, that's another um, Advancement. I know that um, is 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 happening all across the world, um, because so many healthcare systems and operations are being tested right now, and so there's no choice but uh, having to innovate and have creative ways to prevent the spread of the virus already. And in the future, um, they're looking towards uh, what they're doing now uh, to prevent loss of life, and. Um, I know that when I happened upon this story that I did want to talk about it um, and, you know, see what we can learn from the research that shows us um, how, what the information here um, can can tell us about how we can save lives and um, create better frameworks for emergency management and in the future save time and resources. So much uh, can be learned from what we're going to talk about. So I want to, you know, answer the question, essentially, is the unavoidable truly inevitable? Uh, this is in reference to, you know, pandemics. They are, um, 
you know, inevitable in some way. Um, and I think that we can learn something, something, uh, every time one of these occurs every few years, unfortunately. So we're going to look at this new research from an international team of researchers that we're looking at a holistic approach, a well-rounded approach to uh, revealing for the first time where uh, wildlife and human interfaces intersect with uh, poor human health outcomes. And in some of the highly globalized cities, most popular cities on earth, what's happening to give rise to the next pandemic and where will it occur? Uh, so, uh, you know, we have to realize what's going to happen unless measures are taken to prevent um, the onslaught of death, to prevent mass hysteria and crashing economies all over the world. This can be prevented and we have to look at data and we have to be vigilant now. And so, the researchers led by the University of Sydney and other academics spanning all over the globe in places like United Kingdom, India, and Ethiopia, and a few other places, they have a huge paper that is open access, which is great. It means it's free for you to browse. It shows uh, the many different cities worldwide and countries too, where um, you could be at risk or where other uh, pandemics in the future um, are our best known or could be um, uh, definite hotspots in the future. So uh, there was a recent report that highlighted the role that biodiversity destruction plays in pandemics and provided some recommendations. And so the team from the University of Sydney, they went went about uh, researching different geographical areas that require the greatest attention that we all have to look at. And if you want to browse uh, more uh, of their research just offhand, the paper is called Whence the Next Pandemic, the Intersecting Global Geography of the Animal-Human Interface, Poor Health Systems in Air Transit Centrality Reveals Conduits, for high impact spillover. And that was published in the top journal, One Health. And it's really cool because even though beside, beyond the point that it's open access and of course free to use and browse and distribute, they have uh, special cities in, in part, port, parts of the uh, global map that are highlighted in different colors of yellow, orange, and red alert zones. So they kind of warn you of the gravity um, of, you know, being in these countries and what likelihood you are to um, be onto the next pandemic if you are currently in any of those countries. And one of the um, doctors of the um, university, University of Sydney, Dr. Walsh, was um, talking about also the socioeconomic levels um, varying in the different cities. So your low and middle income countries, definitely they're classified um, at sometimes some of the highest risks of spillover, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and so, you know, there's also with that consequence of having, you know, lower quality, uh, diminished health systems, unfortunately. Now, uh, let's uh, speed on to uh, which areas or, or what are we supposed to consider um, as risks for 
um, when looking at when the next pandemic is going to start. So first thing that the uh, research noted was that you want to identify where they're sharing a space between humans as people and wildlife, all types of different animals, is the greatest. So which places on the planet have this inner mixing and space that's really um, not huge, you know, animals and, and people are amongst each other all the time. And so uh, when looking at these places and these countries and these different cities, uh, there's a lot of spillover that's that's bound to occur. It's the most common. And researchers refer to these areas as um, some of these areas of, as the orange zones and also the uh, yellow zones. And also uh, you have to, well, in the research, it noted that um, you know, there's a lot of crossing of humans and domesticated animals, also our farmers, etc., and the wildlife too. So it's pretty complex there. Uh, number two is to also look at uh, where uh, high wildlife areas and human interaction, how those both coincide and commingle alongside poor health systems. So where places um, there are red uh, alert level zones. Uh, where there are uh, people who are in constant um, uh, interactions and spaces and um, they frequent um, uh, spaces where a lot of uh, animals are and people are and there's kind of no boundaries. But also, they don't have the best healthcare systems in place already. They're already, um, you know, poor already. So that's a, another huge factor. And that's, again, of the, the red alert zones in countries and cities that you want to be aware of. And then finally, any place um, that's connected via air, air travel, global air travel, that may be a conduit to a future pandemic. So looking at areas where there are popular international uh, airports, which I'll mention a little bit more in my commentary piece, because um, these areas are really high traffic areas and really dangerous. So you want to um, look at these areas as being places to watch out from because they will have a significant spillover risk uh, where, you know, there's a, a, a the ability for a lot of people to get hurt and a lot of people to get infected in a small window of time um, because of these uh, global, um, huge um, air travel, traveling um, spaces. So lastly, I want to leave you with a quick notable quotable. So quote, locally directed efforts can apply these results to identify vulnerable points. With this new information, people can develop systems that incorporate human health infrastructure, animal husbandry, wildlife habitat conservation, and movement through transportation hubs to prevent the next pandemic. And quote, and that was said of Dr. Walsh of the University of Sydney and the Marie Bashir Institute for Infectious Diseases and Biosecurity. I want to take it back to the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, here in the U.S., it first kicked off uh, on January the 19th. Here in the U.S., um, from it was when it was first reported uh, in China, on the last day of the year in 2019, uh, but a man who had returned home to um, Nohomish County, 
in Washington, um, across the uh, country from me, he would, it's a place near uh, Seattle. On uh, January 15th, he had uh, been traveling from uh, Wuhan. He checked into urgent care um, clinic, you know, just four days before the 19th. And, you know, this was after seeing reports about the outbreak happening. So good on him for going to the um, hospital. You know, that shows you how far we've come um, as far as like a date, but also, um, you know, people are still scared. I'm still worried, so scared, but I do have hope that this will one day soon um, come to end and I cannot wait till it does. It's just, it's just scary to, to try to even process how many lives have been lost from this coronavirus. Other countries are, are still like up to their necks in, in deaths and in infections and it's worrying and it's alarming. Um, some of the things that I, I've learned from the research, one of them, one of the main things is one of the terms spillover. And this is one I want to share with you because you may hear it in the future if you haven't already heard it um, before. It's when, or it's in the instance of a pathogen, um, when it crosses over from uh, being in humans to, uh, from being in animals to infecting humans. So you may have seen this um, in different um, uh, bio um, hazardous uh, type of um, movies, like Contagion, for example, and everyone knows about the um, scene with Gwyneth Paltrow at the end of the movie and, you know, uh, Lawrence Fishburne is in the movie and Kate Winslet, among others. And it's it's so gripping because it all started because the cook was, um, you know, he didn't wash his hands after uh, cutting up the pork and he literally was shaking the hand of Gwyneth Paltrow's character. And that's when it all started, um, you know, all because of the uh, fruit bat and the fruit that fell and then the pig ate it and then uh the chef uh ended up chopping up and preparing that pig um but she didn't know that that was you know essentially her fate being sealed um because that's the that was the epicenter of the start of the pandemic um there were so many i think similarities between that movie a little bit in real life you know real life is stranger than fiction sometimes but um, it 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 brought a lot of things, um, I think, to the surface. A lot of feelings, a lot of different realizations. Like we're in a pandemic, and it's happening in real life, and we're, and we, there are movies about this. Um, I I did a podcast episode in the in the past, a little bit about um uh, movies and and other um things related to it, and it just it just brings me back that this is just so um upfront and it's real it's it's something you can't really avoid even though we all want to no one wants to die especially no one wants to die early and and not do all that you're supposed to and with the coronavirus it just totally messed up so many things and it it flipped so many people's lives on their head it it's done so much damage um with the um added mix of globalization which um, is something that the research did talk about in poor health systems. They kind of go hand in hand with making the spillover uh, of another pandemic, you know, worse. Globalization, 
I think of it as the uh, intermixing of many different things. So for example, you could spend American dollars at a store, it could be a dealership, for example, and you're buying a Japanese car and there's a worker from Kenya who's fixing your car. Um, if you happen to get that Japanese car repaired and you um, are filling it with uh, British gas or British petrol, as they say in the UK. Um, and the clothes that you wear um, while getting your car fixed or even buying that new car are made in India. So that's a, you know example of uh, globalization. Now, um, when it comes to how how we can think of some of the countries that are suspected to be potential hotspots, we, we kind of have to be um, really vigilant about securing ourselves. Like it's it's great to travel and it's it's wonderful to, to do that. And I'm not saying for anyone to um, totally swear off of international travel forever or for a long period of time. Do what you feel is comfortable, but as always be safe. And in the research, I wanted to highlight several different countries. I couldn't name, of course, all of them because I would be here for a little bit longer um, of the different alert um, zones, the different colors that I mentioned, yellow, orange, and red before, so that you can find out which countries kind of are at the least um, uh, apt to maybe spreading a potential pandemic or even having the the start off point there versus other countries where you know to you know avoid them for the time being because they're kind of dangerous and you don't want to be um wrapped up in any of those countries and not able to leave and they be one of the most um uh, hot most um well-known uh, places where they don't have the best infrastructure for um, their health care systems, their hospitals, um, places such as that. So yellow alert countries are, for example, South Africa, Bolivia, Myanmar, aka Burma, and some other uh, European countries. And um, also orange countries, there are a few of them as well. Uh, Mexico, Western Brazil. When I say that Brazil is huge, but the Western part of Brazil is the one that you want to watch out regarding Colombia, Indonesia, and also Southern China. Now, uh, when it comes to the um, orange countries, there is the, the intermixing of mammals, bird species, Human population, it's thick there, and also livestock and pop and poultry densities. You want to be aware of all of these factors. Same thing with the yellow. But with the red, it's a little bit different. Um, red countries can include Sudan, Burkina Faso, and Nigeria, and also India. Uh, red um, alert countries, they have some of the same things you want to look at. Um, or or be mindful of as before, which I talked about in the orange and yellow countries. But with the red countries, they also have high inf- infant mortality rates. You know, Ethiopia is really going through it right now. And they have huge ethnic conflicts right now in the Tigray region. There's a conflict there and they've it's been fighting of the Ethiopians and the allied forces and the Tigray ones also as well. And it's a huge, deadly political struggle. Um, it's been ongoing f- since November of 2020. So, you know, you want to be mindful of 
um, where in the world a possible pandemic could kick off and in a place that is a red alert region, you want to be extra mindful. India is also going through it right now. You know, there there are a lot of virus deaths, 4,000 deaths per day just because of the coronavirus. And there's been, you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, coronavirus cases, you know, daily. It's it's creeping up every single day. Uh, 400,000 or so are the numbers and they keep growing. Um, and 21 million people have been infected in total. So um, it's also, an, uh, again, a, um, a red alert uh country. Uh, I also want to briefly uh, talk about and let you know about some of the most used or popular um, airports as far as um, they've been rated from travelandleisure.com. They're like really popular when it comes to rating of places, of course, that's in the name. And so I'm going to uh, just mention the list of the 2020 airports that are popular um, and get high ratings from them. Uh, number one is Singapore Changai Airport. Number two is Hamad International Airport in Qatar. Number three is Dubai International Airport. Number four is Hong Kong International Airport. Number five is Ichiong. I'm probably mispronouncing that, so sorry if I am. Uh, International Airport in Seoul, South Korea. Number six is Hanade. Uh, Tokyo International Airport, Haneda, it's probably Haneda, uh, that sounds really cool, um, Tokyo International Airport, number seven is Zurich Airport, which is in Switzerland, number eight is Abu Dhabi International Airport, of course in the UAE, number nine is Copenhagen Airport in Denmark, and number 10, it looks kind of at Hard to pronounce, but it's also the Amsterdam Airport in Schiphol, uh, which is in the Netherlands. The Mother Earth Minutes is where I review in the next few minutes proactive things that we can all do to combat the issue in the episode and to protect Mother Earth. So one of the uh, messages in this podcast episode is... Uh, just to consider what protocols do we need or can we implement. Uh, according to a fact from Politico, the annual cost of pandemic prevention is 21 to 31 billion US dollars. But the cost of the coronavirus to the economy uh, is, you know, 8 to 15 trillion dollars. I'm not even sure if that's even the international um, wave of economies, but, you know, there's so much loss and so much happening. Um, and you know, that's not even to mention the loss of life. So much losses of life has, has happened, um, because of this coronavirus, this nasty pandemic, one of the worst I've ever seen. So I wanted to, um, consider small actions, but I think really meaningful ones, um, that everyone can do. And I, I didn't want to necessarily make it about, um, government officials or uh, protections that um, healthcare officials and those in higher authority could have in place because you know this isn't necessary necessarily the um, platform specifically for that. Um, neither are these I think tips specifically because that's a bigger um, macro scale problem. 
Um, and if you want to, you know, think about government action, there are so many act, there are so many governments around the world that have been affected by the coronavirus, and and not every tip or information I'm going to, you know, talk about, you know, relates to them. Um, but the first one I wanted to um, bring to the table is to question and evaluate. And so this goes for everybody, not just your information that you receive or the vaccine information that you're able to find or read or or learn about. Um, But it's also for um, those who, you know, are in government or, you know, local officials who may be listening that um, it's better to prepare and to have a strong government that's able to fight uh, another pandemic than to be sorry and to um, have so much happen just because we weren't prepared. Um, Healthcare safeguards can be in place too. We have to evaluate what's going wrong, what could have what could have been prevented um, in the in the in the scramble for uh, coronavirus gear, for example. Um, so much PPE um, uh, could have been uh, used and utilized, but some some places uh, don't even have the capacity to get it to the, the proper channels for it to be dispersed fairly. Um, you know, this means you know not traveling to hot spots to be covered that have high incidences of human and, and animals and close interactions in spaces. Um, you know, places that um, are like, you know, India, Mexico, Sudan, for example, uh, where you have sometimes, you know, people, they, they're, they're more socialized or it's, it's socially acceptable to, you know, feed or pet or keep animals or, or have them around. Or, or, you're, or do you live in a place where it's even acceptable to, you know, feed animals or, or pet them or keep them, exotic animals or even um, animals that you are just looking after, um, you know, evaluating, is this even safe? Um, you know, are there sufficient uh, protective measures, public health measures in place when you're interacting with animals? Are there laws uh, regarding interacting with animals? So you want to consider like so many things. Those are just, just a few questions to ask yourself and to consider and to delve deeper into. But I just thought that those were somewhat important. Um, next is um, that you want to reduce deforestation. Now, I didn't really go too much into that, especially with the biodiversity piece to the research. But um, one of the things that we can do to lessen the chance of a pandemic is to consider deforestation and, and all the animals that are being affected because of the loss of trees and their habitats and their food sources and so much more. So you want to look for things like Rainforest Alliance certified products. Forestry, for example, their products like um, that um, are related to paper and our paper and cardboard packaging. Uh, that seal is very important and it means that the package is sourced from forests that are certified to the standard of the Forest Stewardship Council, of which the Rainforest Alliance is a founding member. If you want to learn more information about how you can support and also check out uh, a growing directory of where you can purchase different types of Rainforest Alliance certified products, be sure to go to www.rainforest-alliance.org. You also want to avoid purchasing products that contribute to the problem. So um, 
I know that I've I've done a few podcast episodes on uh, palm oil and other types of um, oils too, but um, palm oil is nasty. And I'm not saying nasty as in, you know, eating it, but it is in food and it is uh, definitely related to the deforestation problem in places like the Philippines and Indonesia. Soy is a big problem too. And so if you can avoid buying products like pizza dough or using it or almonds or chips or lipsticks, uh, conventional or um, ones they even mention palm oil, detergents, all of these you can check usually and sometimes see if they even have um, any palm oil or soy in them. And then lastly, number three is um, working together with others to either regulate or eliminate wildlife trade. Now it can it is hard for some to even think that wildlife trade will even end, you know, and it's a it's a it's a bustling and, and growing industry. It's probably in the billions every single year from hunting and transportation and consumption and the, the sale of animals, the storage of them, butchering them for their meat and skins and furs, etc. It's a huge market. And so um, there are different animals, of course, that are um, made exotic and, and others that have a high risk for spreading disease. And so you want to consider bats and rodents and other animals, different species altogether that are clumped in different areas. You know, wet markets, for example, and other other places that are going to leave you at risk for uh, being infected because, again, uh, the spread of these viruses uh, regarding, you know, pandemics, um, a lot of them have been from animals to humans, and it's because animals, you know, they have their habitats ripped away from them, and they're they're next to and in cages that are filthy, and they shouldn't even be in cages, but they end up getting sick, or they end up having a virus, or uh, something related, and so it gets passed on to other animals, and then it makes its way to humans. Um, and then another piece to that is helping hunters, farmers, poachers, and others be able to uh, better have better work alternatives to replace that source of income that they lost from either regulating heavily or eliminating the wildlife trade that they were um, so heavily invested in and that was you know part of their their lifestyle and part of their work that they used to do um there there's got to be other adjacent and better more ethical forms of work that people can do that still is wildlife centered like working to protect wildlife or working in parks or advocacy or conservation so many other avenues people could pivot to uh, versus just being in the wildlife trade and endangering the very animals that we're supposed to protect. The eco fact of the day is that the past decade was the hottest in human history. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club, Sierra Magazine, in the November-December 2020 issue. The 
Eco Company Spotlight is where I cover all types of environmentally related products, services from all types of different companies. There are different companies that I've covered that are involved in beauty and makeup, others in clothes, others in snacks and food, and beyond. I've even covered um, companies uh, that are international, of course, and those that are domestic. Uh, and here in the U.S. with, um, you know, great success. I love getting to talk about all these different companies and what they provide and how they give back to their communities and others. Some are fair trade, some are cruelty free, some are, are B Corp certified, some are um, major um, players um, in, a, in a positive way, in a good way, um, and influence and move the green environmental movement forward. Um, there are some leaders that I think um, are staples um, as far as their longevity, but also what history they bring um, to the environmental space. You know, I've, I've talked about, for example, Kiss My Face and Bird's Bees, and then also I've talked about uh, Black-owned, you know, beauty brands, because I also, you know, always do a segment and every single um, uh, episode in Black History Month about uh, Black-owned brands that also are environmentally friendly. So I do, you know, so much uh, when it comes to, you know, trying to review these products or services. And also, if I, for example, haven't been able to uh, review or at length uh, get the product or maybe it didn't arrive by the time I did the podcast episode, I'll definitely update you in a future podcast episode in the episode announcement portion of that episode. Uh, by chance, if you'd like to, of course, you can always send me a message um, via voice message on anchor.fm forward slash Green Thoughts Podcast, or you can email me as well at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. And I will be doing an amazing uh, coverage and review of Cora Ball, so I can't wait to let you know about Cora Ball. So according to the results from Dr. Napier's uh, University of, and she's from the University of Plymouth, the published research in the peer-reviewed journal Science of the Total Environment back uh, from July 2020, the Cora Ball is effective at reducing 31% of the microfibers that would otherwise flow out of the washing machine from an entire load of wash. There are many, many benefits of using the Cora Ball, and Rachel Miller is the founder of the Rosalia Project for a Clean Ocean, and she's also the co-inventor of the Cora Ball, and she is also the National Geographic Explorer and Explorers Club Fellow. The Rosalia Project has removed nearly 1 million pieces of trash from our oceans, lakes, and rivers, and has educated and inspired over 75,000 people in direct programs over the last 10 years. The Core Ball is the world's first microfiber-catching laundry ball and is a tool to make an impact, raise awareness, and inspire innovation around the problem of microplastic and microfiber pollution worldwide. So as far as the commitment to sustainability that Core Ball is, it has a number of great things going for it. I'm so proud of it. And number one is it keeps your clothes looking like new for longer, thus preventing excessive rebuying of clothes and thus deepening any related consumerism there. 
Number two, it reduces and lessens microfiber pollution, which of course ends up in leads to our world's oceans. And number three is that if you buy one, it's super durable and it should last for years, uh, if not a lifetime. The different products that the Coral Ball uh, has, the, the different brand, uh, it has uh, many different things. So it has the original Coral Ball, it's the only Coral Ball out there. Uh, it has the um, the Bube or the Bub clip, you could pronounce it a few different ways, and then the bundle packs for both. And I've been trying to buy the Coral Ball for the longest time, but I made a plan to buy it in the future but I will update the usage of it in another podcast episode in episode announcements uh, so I'm really excited for it I haven't gotten to uh, buying it because um, recently when I ordered another um, bag it's a, a different bag from thread up I wanted to use the old bag that I first got as the donation bag but I ordered another free bag um, as part of the program Uh, for selling of items so I didn't want to um, use and and buy the Cora Ball to use on my old items I'm going to give away anyway and instead I want to replace those with uh, items that in the future I can you know have high yields of cotton percentages in the different types of um, garments that I'm going to replace um, the ones I, you know, sold and a few that I, do- I donated with for other sustainable fabrics. So, you know, that's a, a, a two for one. So I'm able to, um, in the future, use the Cora Ball for um, eliminating microfibers, but they're going to be eco-friendly microfibers because I'm not using um, the clothes that I was able to um s- will sell essentially um because some of those clothes you know they didn't have the the healthy content percentages of uh cotton and other sustainable fabrics that i was willing to even uh keep anymore you know like i'm i'm over using polyester and nylon and other types of fabrics you know acrylic etc um and so um i i talked about it a few podcast episodes ago that i wanted to replace um, clothes that I didn't wear anymore. If, if the clothing isn't cotton majorly or, um, you know, other types of sustainable fabrics, you know, bamboo, for example, that I'm just not willing to have it in my space, in my closet and take up room for other types of clothes that I'm, you know, going to wear and be happy that I'm wearing them. Um, I love that the Cora Ball definitely works in all types of washing machines. And for all those who are wondering, you know, does it, you know, Um, is there anything to worry about regarding clothes? Well, you want to separate out your lace and delicates and knits and fine fabrics and tassels and uh, other types of garments that are loose uh, with their threads or have any, you know, knots in them or straps because you don't want to get tangled in the Cora ball. Um, And then the clip um, is used, uh, it's a sustainable natural alternative to the plastic bag clips, so it's good on them for creating that. The Cora Ball can be used in both your washer and dryer, and it's great for, of course, reducing your lint and overall microfiber pollution. It will definitely uh, change uh, the, out- the output of that lint and microfiber pollution that you have. And that's according to 60 different factors that uh, of the Cora Ball that can change the shed rate of your clothes. 
and then um, a few other things about it that I really liked um, is that I think uh, when I buy the coral ball it will definitely be therapeutic I think to pick apart the lint from the parts of the coral ball because it when I saw the video of how it was done it was very calming I could see how someone could be really happy about doing that and you don't have to do it every single time that you wash or dry your clothes but they say um, after a few washes and in, in, in dries that you'll want to of course pick apart the uh, lint from the coral ball and this is a bit pricey, it's a little uh, under 40 uh, US dollars, but you can also buy the bundle packs and, and maybe give a few to a friend. And again, this is a great investment uh, in your laundry care. Um, you know, there's ways to green your laundry. Um, I did do a podcast episode about that, I believe in uh, late uh, 2019 about that, but I am really excited for, um, you know, trying and, and buying the Cora Ball. I'm really excited I was able to talk about this at length because I did talk about it in a a podcast episode about ocean uh, plastic and and microfibers to microplastics. So I'm excited to, uh, you know, bring you all the information about the Cora Ball. Uh, So for me, until further notice, I give it five out of five green thumbs up. Uh, You can find the Cora Ball on their website at www.coraball.com that's c-o-r-a ball b-a-l-l dot com or you could check out the section on their website that says shops selling Cora Ball. they are varied all in different uh, different countries around the world like in the uae the united arab emirates the uk south korea peru New Zealand, Japan, Mexico, and several other countries, and over half of U.S. states. The Cora Ball can be found on these following social media platforms, Facebook at Cora Ball, Instagram at The Cora Ball, Pinterest, um, or maybe not at Pinterest as far as I could tell, um, Twitter at The Cora Ball, and also YouTube at The, the Roselia a project. Roselia project is spelled R-O-Z-A-L-I-A project. And to contact Coraball, just be sure to check out their website again, www.coraball.com, and then check out the bottom of the website under contact us to message them. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Uh, this podcast episode and I really wanted it to be a tool for future use and to you know let you know that it is scary when a pandemic happens when uncertainty uh, is on the horizon when we don't know what's going to happen um, and we have to prepare we have to prepare suddenly or we have to have measurements in place already and what we've learned from the research there are different countries where we know now at least um, where some of these places we're just going to have to avoid for the time being um, until it's safe for us to operate or travel to or um, visit at length to these countries. Um, and, you know, just looking back on everything that's happened since the start of the coronavirus, it's been such a roller coaster, but I'm. Um, I'm glad that you were able to, um, you know, put away all fears or at least calm some fears and bite the bullet 
and, you know, want to click on this podcast episode and check it out. You know, maybe you want to share it with a few friends. Maybe you want to listen to it again. I know that I would. Um, and I, I, I want to make more podcast episodes about the coronavirus. Um, not that they'll be dated um, when this coronavirus is over because there's always other uh, amazing information in the podcast episodes. But we will, you know, get through this. It's it's not um, a, a point in time where we're going to, you know, always be in a pandemic space and always worry about death around the corner or, you know, trying to still operate and in, in have some semblance of, of everyday life. But, you know, I want us all to be prepared. Um, you know, protect yourselves and your loved ones and those who you treasure and those around you and, and try to learn as much information as you can about whatever it is um, when it comes to the coronavirus, whether the variants that are being found uh, often, um, whether it's the, you know, different developments in vaccines or which vaccines are maybe safer, which ones are popping up. Uh, maybe uh, those are having less and less side effects. Um, you know, just other information as well. But I, I wanted this to, to be uh, another great podcast episode and to, you know, talk about great research that's out there. And I felt like it was important enough to mention and, and talk about. So, of course, thank you so much again for listening and checking out the podcast episode. And thank you for my paid supporter, uh, one of my only ones um, thus far um, in, in really um, putting a, a, a fire under me, um, a renewed fire as always, um, and, you know, helping me um, in that, you know, it, it's, it's great to have that support um, and, you know, grow little by little. And then, you know, that, um, you know, monies uh, essentially comes back to all of you in the form of different things. So I have a few surprises in the future and I'm really excited to talk about those. And again, the, the different information coming out uh, regarding updates and everything, I'll always be sure to talk about those in uh, episode announcements. But um, until then, another podcast episode as always, be sure to please take care of yourselves and to please take care of the planet. Take care.